1: What's up, Fungal Associates? Welcome to Completely Arbitrary, the podcast about trees and other related topics. I am one of your hosts. My name is Alex Croson.
2: I am your other host, Casey Clapp, here excited today,
1: Alex. It's, It's a big one, Case.
2: We're talking about a tree that I have tattooed on me. Wow, there it is, huh? This is it right here. I always like to do this. This is my very first pine cone tattoo.
1: Really? Yeah. What year did you get that?
2: Uh, ooh, I got this. It was the last tattoo I got in Seattle, 2016. Wow. Yeah. But you fact, haven't been
1: collecting for that long.
2: Yeah, not that long. Okay. No, 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 no. no, no. It's, a, it's kind of a new thing. Right on. Yeah, I wanted to, uh, historically, I've always gotten a tattoo any place I've lived. Right. So I uh, actually had was moving out of Seattle, and like I was like, I'm moving in a week. Where can I get a tattoo?
1: Oh, wow. Called
2: a bunch of places. Finally got a hold of the, this one place. I think it's called Slaved the Needle. I wish I could remember the name of the artist. Uh, he was kind of new. He's like, yeah, I don't got anything booked. And then crushed it. Like, mm. amazing job. Like, really did. It's it's one of my top favorite tattoos.
1: It looks fantastic, Casey. And yeah. that tattoo is of today's tree. That's exactly right. The, and I mean the with a capital T. Capital T. White Bark Pine.
2: I love this tree.
1: This one feels big, Casey. Yeah, does it? Why? In a, in a couple different ways. White Bark Pine is very popular. Uh-huh. We get a lot of requests for the white bark pine. Yeah. Um, we also, this is our ultimate episode, our grand yes, finale.
2: Exactly, correct.
1: On our four act play mm-hmm. about symbiosis.
2: Yes, it is. I think this is gonna be a good one.
1: This is the the where that we find out if it's a tragedy or a comedy.
2: Yep. Here we go. Let's f- f- I f- oh wow. I feel like it'll be <laughs> that was good. I hadn't given it that that much of a thought, Alex. <laughs> I want it at the end of this. I'm gonna ask you if you think it's a tragedy, this whole thing, yeah. or if it's a comedy. Okay. Now we should we should define first. Uh we're going like the Greek, the traditional yes. sort of thing. A tragedy is where the protagonist does not overcome the conflict. Correct. A comedy is when the protagonist does overcome the conflict.
1: Correct. Okay, perfect. The protagonist in this episode being the white bark pine.
2: Yes, which is had no, uh, there's, there's no uh, pine quotes around this. This is a dashless pine tree. Yes. Genus Pinus. Alba. Albacallus.
1: Albacallus. Yes. White it, bark.
2: White bark or like white outside. Yeah.
1: yeah. Callus. I wonder if, that, if that's related to callus. Yes, I
2: think it is actually. Okay. Yeah,
1: very specifically. There you go. Casey, let's imagine that you oh. and I are walking through. A forest. <laughs> An actual forest. And this
2: is a forest here in the western side of North America. Alex. There
1: we have it. And we come across some Pinus albacallus. Yes, we do. Casey, let's ID this Monumental tree
2: monumental all right, so it is a a fairly small tree, about like the biggest one is listed around twenty one meters, like it's not very tall, you know, that's maybe sixty eighty feet tall. yeah, they don't get huge. They're not the kind of tree that's gonna be out in uh, a giant forest crushing it. They are the kind of tree that when you're walking around, you'll see these grows of these little pockets of trees, very rarely an entire like, Co- continuous forest.
1: Oh, okay. You're
2: walking up and you see this gnarly looking kind of short and stubby very dense looking canobied tree. Mm. You can tell it's a pine tree. It's got needles. Those needles are in bunches of fives. It's evergreen so you're going to see it all the time.
1: Five pine pine five pine. Five needle pine. Yes, well done. Yikes, that's like not even a tongue twister.
2: <laughs> so this this guy, you're gonna see it from <laughs> from a, a bit of a good distance, but you'll note that when you're looking at it, you are either at a very high elevation or you are looking up at a high elevation. Okay, they do not grow anywhere below probably in most cases mm, six thousand feet. This
1: reminds me of the bristlecone.
2: Yeah, it, it, it totally. These are these. This is the kind of tree that grows in the same area, same habitat, same thing, even has the same relationship with other species as the Purcell cone. How about that? Yeah, very convenient uh, and a very good observation, Alex. <laughs> oh, thank
1: you very much, Casey. Are these long needles? Like, are we got these big, bushy, long needles? Nah, very short. Short yeah. needle pine. Short needles, yeah. Okay. So,
2: So you're walking up, right? You see this tree, bushy little pine tree. It has usually a big main stem and then sometimes others that kind of come from the base a little bit or potentially two or three trees all growing from essentially the same spot. Okay. And they grow up and they kind of come out. They have a non-uniform shape like what you'd expect a pine tree. So a, a ponderosa pine, for example, grows straight up one single stem, gets really tall, has that like triangular decurrent shape. Yeah. Uh, um, I'm sorry, excurrent. These trees have more of a decurrent shape, where they look like big balls, where they have this mm. big open canopy that comes out and does not have that usual central leader with a up 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 coming down. They usually have a bunch of branches and a bunch of um, lower limbs and things that kind of grow up.
1: Yeah, you know when I called it the bristlecone, when I when I said it was when I said it sounded similar to a bristlecone, rather. Yeah. I was I was more right than I knew. Yeah, I am it now really looking does. at photos of this white bark pine. Holy cow! This thing could be a cousin. I mean, it probably is, right?
2: Yeah, they are, actually. Um, They're all five-needle pines, so they are very closely related. And being five-needle pines, um, they are usually uh, have kind of soft cones. So the cone itself is usually pretty short, and Mm. five-needle pines tend to have cones that aren't like really, really rough and woody, you know? Really? Uh, I'll give you an example of the Monterey pine. Oh, okay. Uh, that is not a five-needle pine. That is a three-needle pine. Mm. And it will have a really hard, like almost Softball size and consistency cone. Okay, you were just going to point at a cone, weren't you? Uh,
1: this Italian stone pine cone I have
2: three needle pine. Okay, yeah. So same thing as ponderosa pine. They have three needles. They have these big kind of like woody kind of bulbousy cones.
1: I like this softball metaphor. Yeah, it, it, <clears>
2: it's <throat> very and it feels like that.
1: But five needle pines,
2: they tend to have really long cones or cones that have uh, scales that you can kind of move around a little bit. Like they kind of they kind of are, are not like. Uh, Obtrusively hard. Sugar pine? Five needle? Five needle, but that one, they're really long. And that one is probably the woodiest of most of them.
1: Okay. Douglas fir?
2: Douglas (laughs) fir? Oh, that's a trick question, Alex. Uh, I see what you did there. Just sliding that in.
1: Uh, Yeah, it was meant to be a trick question. (laughs) You did a a very good job. I
2: wasn't fooled, though. The Douglas fir pine? The Douglas fir pine? That's what they used to call it. The Douglas pine. Um, but this tree is really unique in that it has extremely white bark. It's a big thing you'll see also as you're as you're approaching it.
1: I've got some questions about this bark, Casey. All
2: right, what do you got?
1: Is this when I see it? Uh, when I see this white bark, uh-huh. is this actual bark or is this like? underneath the bark, like does Ah, the bark shed and its skin underneath is white and then it grows dark again and then it sheds and it's white.
2: It's actually mostly the young bark. In the young bark, the young twigs are very white and they stay white the whole time. But as they get larger and get older, it becomes a little more, um, not furrowed, but just thicker and grayer. It has like more little bits and parts on it that kind of look like little warts and a fissure here, a fisher there. But they kind of have this more uniformly Pineish bark it's kind okay. of the only way to describe it
1: and now casey i'm i don't know if this is crazy but is is the white bark the reason they call it hmm, a white bark
2: pine alex intuitiveness is a <sighs> gift with you yeah
1: i've kind of got the knack you
2: got it that's yeah. exactly right nice. i don't know how you do this like you just you, you close your eyes and you're like i get it
1: yeah Sort of like Neo in the Matrix. <laughs>
2: yeah, you just downloaded the genes of this, and you're like, I understand it now. Yeah. Everything makes sense. White bark, white bark, pine.
1: <gasps> <laughs> hey, I picked these things up pretty easy, Casey. It doesn't come that naturally to everybody.
2: So um, you get closer. You see that it has five needles, but there's another thing that you'll notice is that mm. the five needles are are kind of bunched up near the end. The big way to tell the difference between yeah. this and let's say it's growing very, next, or very close to and next to a... Bristlecone pine, which it doesn't always do. It, in fact, I'm not sure that they have any significant overlap. Maybe one you can find the white bark pine and the foxtail pine growing next to each other. Hmm. Um, but the big thing is that those the the foxtails and bristlecone pines will keep their needles for like 20 years.
1: Right, so the l- whole branch is covered in needles. Yeah, exactly. Old twig rather.
2: Yeah, this one they're they're way they they kind of stay tufted at the very end. They I only keep them for a couple years. And the thing with it is that they will have... You go over there and you grab it. You say, wow, I count all these needles. They're five needles. The needles are not splayed out. They're very tightly held together. Mm-hmm. So you can you can see that there's five needles, but they're like five needles that have not really... They don't want to get too far away from each other. They want to stay really kind of tight and close. Yeah. It helps keep them a little bit warmer up at these high altitudes oh, sure. so that they grow. Um, you'll also notice that you can take one of those twigs and you can almost tie it in a knot. They're hmm. extremely flexible. Really? Yeah, they're, they're lower tw- or they're, they're younger twigs, very flexible until they become very old because they're at such high elevation. They grow slow and they're under immensely harsh conditions. So the old trees, the big parts, immovable objects. But the small bits are like so flexible that another tree that grows in the same area is called Pinus flexilis. It's called the limber pine. Wow. And you can actually tie its twig in a knot and leave it and the tree will be fine.
1: Whoa. Yeah,
2: you can't like cinch the knot down, then you'll certainly break it. But yeah, I've done it before without causing any damage to the tree.
1: Wow, can you tie it in a bow?
2: Oh, that's a good question. I bet you, you can.
1: Can you also maybe throw it over your shoulder like a continental soldier? I think you can, Alex. Yeah.
2: Huh? I wonder if uh, it's like a uh, if it uh, catches a tiger by the toe.
1: Wow, that's not even the same. <laughs> it's not.
2: Eeny, meeny, miny, mo, catch a tiger by the toe.
1: No. Do your Ta- ears hang low? Do oh, they wobble to and fro? Oh, damn. Can you tie them in a knot? Can you tie them in a bow? I'm can you ashamed. throw them over your soul your shoulder like a continental soldier? Do your I ears can't. hang low? We need uh we, we need Tobin we Mitnick. Remember he, how he did his like, his, he did his like college English class uh, on Humpty Dumpty. Yeah, <laughs> we need him to yeah. do. Do your ears hang low? We
2: do. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. It's probably
1: about communism or yeah. something. Hey,
2: listen, listen, uh, listen up and, and uh, call us out. We want to see this. Yeah. Well, anywho, he also really likes these trees. Just say we almost went and saw the oldest pine flexilis when we uh, when I went down and visited. Tobin, Tobin Mitnick,
1: a fan of white bark pine. Yeah, he
2: is. Yeah, he's a fan. Shout out to
1: T-Bone. Love ya. Uh,
2: so the other big thing, obviously I've said, they grow at high elevation. And at that elevation, they have developed a very specific relationship with a bird. Now, I already talked about their cone being this kind of like small, not extremely woody kind of thing. And mm-hmm. you can see my tattoo where they, they kind of look like they're little, uh, little tightly closed up and like have these little points that come out. They look, They look kind of tough, right? this is probably the on the on the the thickest um side of what a cone scale for a five needle pine would be oh, okay they kind of get thick they have pretty reasonably sized seeds where you know if you get a pine seed from the store or pine nut yeah you break you can eat that it's about the same size like they're, okay they're relatively large seeds okay and they have this big like hard shell around them you break the shell and then you pull out this little seed you, you need them I've done it a bunch of times they're great
1: but you're gonna need a tool to break that open, such as a hmm, a beak.
2: Exactly, Alex. <laughs> am I? Am I don't I, know what you're doing. You're honest
1: <laughs> today. Am I too transparent with my lead ups, Casey? <laughs> you
2: might have just uh, listened to the interview we did at the end of this episode. So maybe you no. Know. Uh, you're exactly right. So yeah. the cone, it does not open wide enough. The scales don't open wide enough for the seeds, the big seeds, to escape. Right. They are broken apart, and you can almost never find a seed from this species of tree inside a cone. or Rather, you can never find a cone that has not been completely broken open by some animal. Hmm. Most of the time, it is a Clark's Nutcracker. The
1: Clark's Nutcracker.
2: Yes. Other times, like if it lands on the ground, a squirrel will get it. And if you're in places where there are bears, bears will get up there and just ever so gently break them off and eat only the seed and none of the actual cone. Aww. Yeah. They're they're apparently extremely good at just being like gulp, 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 and just eating just what they want. They're long
1: their long nails.
2: Yeah, they're long nails and their little skinny tongues.
1: Oh, very wow. dexterous
2: animals. is what we're saying. I love
1: bears, but I also fear them.
2: Hey, that's that's a good relationship. I love you. I fear you. I respect you.
1: It's very, it's very, uh, it's very uh, Christian. Yeah, very
2: it? medieval Christian. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Now I'm thinking about bears as like a, a medieval Christian, like kind of big thing. Like you put it on your standard when you oh, go to battle. Oh yeah,
1: sick. That would awesome. be like, I'd be a little afraid to go against the bears. I mean, aren't there a Game of Thrones family that is the bears?
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. They're the marmots, I think. Uh, oh, okay, Marmot, yeah. Uh, Jor- Marmot, Jorah Mormont.
1: Jorah Mormont. Yeah, 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 the yeah. Bears, yeah. yeah he ah, looks I, like I a bear. Know. He does. He's a good looking guy. guy. There's also Bear Island. In, in...
2: Yes, I think that's where they're from, isn't okay. it? Oh, yeah. yeah. I got to reread that book is what I need to do. Like, I just Read re- Game of Thrones? I need to reread all of or, them. Or uh, Song of Yeah, it might take me long enough to start at the very beginning that by the end of book uh was it five now? Uh yeah. Book six slash potentially seven will already be out. That
1: would be pretty incredible. Ugh, George R. R. Stop it. A lot of people say it's never gonna happen.
2: Yeah, exactly. He's gonna he's gonna die before it happens. Yeah. Mm, I hope not. We're all praying.
1: thoughts and prayers to yeah, George th- R. R. Martin. Thoughts and prayers
2: to George R. R. Martin. <laughs> Um, Yeah, so these cones, they come out. They're always at the top of the tree. And what's funny is that this Clark's Nutcracker will go through, and it has a beak that bends sideways. Wow. Oh, my gosh. So it basically (gasps) puts its beak in there. Exactly. It pries it. It pries it open, and then it sticks its little tongue in there, pulls the seed out, and then either eats it or stores it in its mouth and then goes over to a place and hoards it. They call it a scatter hoard.
1: That's absolutely incredible.
2: Where they make a big pile of them. They, they basically say, okay, this spot is where I'm going to put all of these seats, like 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 or 100 seats. And then they do it in another spot. And then they do it in another spot. And they do it in another spot. They do it in another spot. Now, remember our second episode yep, way back when. I was
1: about to bring this up.
2: Yes. We were like, oh, these squirrels. I, I made the comment out of complete ignorance that I've heard that squirrels don't ever remember where they put their stuff. They just search where they think a squirrel would have hidden something. That was one of
1: our first big blunders. Yeah,
2: the podcast regretted the error
1: it, we, we, we didn't know then that big blunders would just become a part of our podcast <laughs> yeah,
2: literally 30% of it <laughs> So it turns out that the birds, the Clark's Nutcracker, do the same thing. Okay. Where they have joined into this relationship with whitebark pine. And funny enough, where they're at, the bristlecone pines, and they eat the seeds, scatter them in these hordes, and then they know exactly where they are. For the rest of the winter, they go back, dig them up, eat their seeds one at a time, and then will move on to their next horde, move Mm. on to the next one. Sometimes bears will find these, sometimes other critters will get in there and they'll oh, like, oh sure. sweet, found a big, a big cache. But these birds are so successful with these trees that over millennia, they have joined, and this is our word of the week, into a symbiotic relationship. Wow. Yeah, who saw that coming?
1: This feels, this feels truly symbiotic.
2: Yes, it, this is a I I would say, a true mutualistic symbiosis. Yes, it
1: doesn't feel parasitic. Nope. It doesn't feel... Uh, the other one, <laughs> uh, oh <laughs> is yeah, there another kind? Parasitic,
2: mutualistic, and then I'm sure there's a term for it, but I just never really know what to say, so I just say like a one-sided kind of sure. symbiosis. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know the term off the top of my head. For it- whatever reason, all of my research I have not actually been like, what is that called? Right. And you know what? We're doing this one live. So that's the thirty
1: percent right there, yeah, baby. Exactly.
2: You guys look it up yourself. So this is an interactive, <laughs> a choose your own adventure kind of
1: thing. Yeah, this is the audience participation. Yeah, we forgot exactly. to do the research, you do it. <laughs> um so Casey you sat down yes with uh a very important person in the world of white bark pine. I sure did. Her name is Perry Sassnet. She's the host and producer. Yep. Of the Headwaters podcast, correct.
2: One of uh, the hosts and producers of the uh, this podcast put out by Glacier National Park.
1: That's right, a national park. So this is like a this is like a uh, this is like a federal podcast.
2: Yes, exactly. Which I kind of thought was fun. Like I didn't know that uh, they did it, and I didn't even know that the entire system of the national parks would have like said yeah, let's let's do this yeah and I actually I asked Perry this exact question and she was like well honestly a lot of people can't visit the national parks like if you're in New York and you just can't afford to come all the way out to Glacier National Park in mm. Montana they wanted to basically tell those stories that usually you'd hear from say a interpretive ranger standing underneath a white bark pine and they'll tell you about it instead they decided to bring the stories to you
1: very cool uh and we're big fans of this podcast yep listen to both
2: episodes Uh, i'm sorry uh, both
1: seasons and we reached out to perry or perry reached out to us yeah a little bit of both and you sat down with her to talk about the white bark pine and the challenges it's facing yes and the plan moving forward and we have that interview after the break we'll be right back with more completely
0: arbitrary Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu/podcast.
1: Welcome back to Completely Arbitrary. Today we're talking the white bark pine, Pinus albicaulis. That's right. Literally translated, the white bark pine. The white bark pine. I, I'm 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 sorry. I'm thinking of something else now. What? Alba. Yeah. White.
2: Alba, Albatross.
1: Albatross. Albus Dumbledore, potentially, is named after his white hair. If you add up Albatross and Albus Dumbledore, it's 23. <laughs>
2: oh, my God. Jim Carrey's seminal horror movie. <laughs> oh, It's so good. It's just so good. I think one day I should go as that for Halloween. Yeah. And just, like, write numbers all over my face and my arms and everything.
1: I'm from the movie 4.
2: Yeah, I'm from the movie 4.
1: The sequel. <laughs> wa-
2: walk over there. Oh my god, you have two speakers, one TV, and a game set. That's four. <laughs> <laughs> that would be that would be brilliant. Well, Casey, as
1: you mentioned earlier, this episode is the grand finale. Yes. In our series about symbiosis. That's right. What a what a wild ride it's been. And this is a great one to end on because this doesn't this relationship between the Clark's Nutcracker. And the white bark pine Mm -hmm. feels very wholesome to me. Yeah. It feels like it could be the basis of like a Pixar short or something.
2: Oh, my God. That would be, I would love that. Uh,
1: Yeah, you would. Just
2: like a little pine tree that like, and this is, I would believe that Pixar could do this without like making the pine tree, like the mother willow where it has like a face and it talks and everything. Yeah. Give it like a personality. For sure. Through their storytelling. Yeah. The bird, of course, can have the best personality because, you know. They're the best.
1: And the bird's lineage can kind of grow up with the pine yeah, tree. Yeah, exactly.
2: Exactly. No. That sounds beautiful.
1: Little tale of two friends.
2: And you know what? These birds have character. Like they talk to each other all the time. Really? I was camping amongst a grove of one of these in Northern California, and there was uh I was woken up at like seven o'clock on the dot by a bunch of these birds around my tent. Oh. And there's like Brow! Like squawk and they fly away and they go to something and they squawk all about you.
1: Wow. Yeah.
2: They don't like it when you're in there. They're like, grow. They're like, get out. But they, I think, were just kind of squawking and then they moved on to another grove and then I got up and I, I moved away.
1: Did you see any bears while you were camping? No,
2: zero bears there. I, in fact, I have almost, I don't think I've ever seen a bear or a, a coyote or not a coyote, a uh, a cougar while I have been <sighs> backpacking. That's like my worst fear. Oh man, it's what I'm I'm waiting for. Like really? It's on my to-do
1: list. W- to be encountered with a bear or uh, a cougar? Yeah, not in, one? I don't
2: want I think I should change that exact phrasing that you uh-huh. used. I don't want to be encountered by one because then it has been looking for me you know i want to see it on my own terms okay or if you do see one like you're walking down there's a bear in front of you it's like oh huh. like a black bear are really they're not they're not um aggressive bears most of the time okay black bears they'll get into your food if they have the opportunity they'll come around and there's all sorts of horror stories of course so given. yeah but in the math of it the the likelihood of that happening across the united states is like very very low you just honk your horn they'll run away yeah pretty much they don't want to mess with you they're just like i gotta go they've they've learned most of them to be afraid of humans black bears
1: but grizzlies grizzly
2: bears have no fear and (sighs) that is the one scary thing even um uh indigenous people have like that is the bear you don't mess with all the other bears eh, you can kind of be fine with but that's the bear our entire existence is like be careful with that those ones are scary they're big and tough my
1: God, they're it. so strong and they're so big.
2: Yeah, but they don't climb trees. So if you just climb a tree, a grizzly will kind of look at you and then just. They'll be bored and they'll move away, wow. but they can't or they don't climb. Black bears do climb. Um, you just have to kind of be bigger and scarier and don't get between, you know, a mom and her cub kind of thing. Sure. So our friendly little bird, the Nutcracker, and our Pixar short about the the, the tree and the bird.
1: Yes, yes. Uh,
2: you're right. It is a wholesome, wholesome uh, example of symbiosis, mutual symbiosis.
1: It's relationship goals.
2: It is, and the so the the tree says, "I'll give you this food." I think you're great. Just please don't eat it all, um, because I really need it to have, uh, you know, my children to have a new a new little baby. Right. Um, if you are um, that tree, your benefit is you are dispersing your seeds. Yes. If you are a uh, a nutcracker. Um, which is funny enough related to like crows and blue jays and things. Really? Yeah, yeah. Nutcracker's not actually a bird. Like a nutcracker's those things that you get, you know, in, in, for Christmas time.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah,
2: so a Clark's Nutcracker, I always think it's fun. Like it's a. have never heard of a bird called a nutcracker. <sighs> I see. Until this bird. Anyway. Clark's Nutcracker
1: is the budget ballet put on oh, by...
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Clark's, Clark's Nutcracker. Yeah, that's how you avoid the... Uh, um, uh, paying the rights to, to yes. do The Nutcracker. This is
1: Clark's Nutcracker. It's different.
2: Anyway, Ugh. Alex, this is... A dumb, it's a definition. It's a, a dumb, dumb podcast, I know.
1: No, that was a dumb input by me. What? No, it wasn't. What are you talking about? Yeah, it was Clark's Nutcracker. I could do so much better.
2: Yeah, okay. I mean, you could do better, but that doesn't mean this was bad. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's my that's my goal. It's just like, okay. not great, but it could be worse. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. Isn't that everyone's goal? I yeah, so. I, I reckon so. Well, so it turns out, Alex, that I have given you a little bit of a red herring in Ooh. terms of how this whole symbiosis was going to end. Oh, no. The obvious, uh, the obvious thing here is that you have the symbiotic relationship between the bird and the tree. Yeah. Great. Cool. We did it. We talked about it. We got it done. It's the same thing as the ant potentially.
1: Sure, the ant know? from the... Um, Cecropia. S- Cecropia. Yeah,
2: maybe not exactly the same, because then we had the discussion like, what is this? Is everyone benefiting? Is one not benefiting? This it seems pretty clear. There's two benefits, um, but it's not so close of a symbiosis in that um, there's a couple different species that the bird could use. Um, also, the tree hasn't developed so explicitly that it's only this. Uh, remember when we talked about the figs? There was a ant or um, a A wasp wasp. yes that wasp and that one species of fig were united and combined yeah one existed it or if one did not exist the other would also soon not exist yeah that is some intense symbiosis with these two birds in this tree the symbiosis is is there but it's way bigger alex and this is something that um, the Headwaters podcast really, really kind of brought into a larger kind of context, right? Yes. And what's important is that essentially. Um. there's two things that we're going to talk about that I talked about with Perry. The first is what's going on with this tree. What is the, um, what's going on in terms of this tree's survival? Because there's some things that are happening to it right now that are threatening its existence, which mm. then, of course, threatens the existence of other things. And at first you say, well, shoot, that bird, the one the one Clark's nutcracker in these areas are going to perish because the trees are getting affected by this disease called white pine blister rust, yeah. which kills the, um, the twigs and the needles. They're also dying because a of mountain pine beetle comes in and bores into the, the wood and ends up killing the tree by girdling it essentially from the inside. And then you have climate change. These trees grow at the highest elevation. They grow where they cannot move up any further because they're already at the top. So these three things uh, are affecting the trees. And what was notable is that if these trees perished, it would not just affect the birds. It would affect a giant cascade of everything else, Mm. which brings me to my my glorious conclusion— of the question Whoa. is, is symbiosis something where we can say it's v- just these two things? Or how far out can we expand the idea of symbiosis? In terms mm. of if I and a whole ecosystem are all kind of dependent on something, or we have what you're going to hear in a second called a keystone species, mm-hmm. what exactly, where exactly can we put that definition of symbiosis? If one tree species is a key, keystone species in an entire ecosystem, does that make the entire ecosystem and the tree in a symbiosis?
1: Well, Casey, Mm -hmm. now we're talking.
2: Well, let's listen This boy, have the stakes
1: been raised.
2: (laughs) They sure have, Alex. So let's give a listen to um, a couple clips here that that we got from our conversation where we should note, if you want to hear the rest of this talk, this is uh, just some snippets. That's right. We have that on Patreon.com. Go to our... Patreon.com slash arbitrary
1: pod. That's right. The whole an un- un- uninterrupted uncut.
2: It's insane. <laughs> Unrated.
1: All the all the all the deleted scenes are in there. Yeah,
2: yeah. Everyone's gonna watch
1: them. The four-hour Snyder cut.
2: <laughs> so um let's listen in and hear what Perry had to say about what a Keystone species is and what's going on with the white bark pine. <laughs>
0: Whitebark pine is a keystone species and that's one of the that's why everyone's so worried about the threats that it's facing and its decline is that it's not just like well it's a tree it has things that depend on it but they can find other food sources its role in the ecosystem can be filled by other things like no this is it has so many links to other species that rely on it for food. It's important kind of in forest structure, like it lives at the very top of um, kind of where trees can live in the subalpine. And so, and the way that Clark's Nutcrackers plant the seeds, it's often one of the first species to come in after a fire. So it's kind of a pioneer species and then can support other trees coming in afterward. It It's big canopies help shade the snowpack so that, um, spring runoff is a little bit slower, a little bit less chaotic. We've certainly all seen the effects of chaotic spring runoff this year. Yes, we have. Um, but yeah, there's just so many links to other species and the the um, seeds in those cones are just such an important food source and such a rich source of protein and fat for so many species, including people. And so if we were to lose white bark pine, it would have, yeah, pretty huge effects yeah definitely and so right now it's
2: uh white pine blister rust and the uh is it the mountain pine beetle that's doing this
0: Uh uh-huh yeah diana six who we talked to described it as a three-legged stool that white bark pine's kind of sitting on and then these three threats the pine beetles blister rust and climate change are each kind of chewing away at one leg of that stool yeah. And that that was a really interesting uh,
2: way to to describe it, where if if any one of those things kind of takes over, then the trees kind of toast. So the three legged stool really, I think that that
0: exemplifies it very well, just that triangle of doom. Right. Yeah. And like, maybe it could fight off one if not for the presence of the others. And they all kind of combine to be more than the sum of their parts in attacking the species.
1: A three-legged stool. Of doom. Slowly being gnawed at by three different uh, enemies. Huh? Yeah,
0: exactly. And
2: I think that's a really curious thing where you, you, you think of a stool, and if one of those things is like like goes away, everything else collapses.
1: Stools falling over. Yeah,
2: it doesn't need to be uh, more than one of them. Any of those three things could cause the destruction. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing that she brought up is that this wow. is a keystone species. All the things that relate to this really intense ecosystem at these high elevations are predicated on the existence of these trees, or at least they have a really huge impact on a bunch of things that cascade down. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So that makes me wonder, like, well, I think we could bring symbiosis And put it more on this intense uh, spectrum where everything kind of maybe in less of a direct way than an ant boring into your pith or a bird being the only thing that distributes your seeds. If there are other animals that or other ecosystem functions that happen because this tree exists, Mm -hmm. then you take that tree away and those things stop to or cease to exist. Or at least are changed extraordinarily. She noted there's no other trees to take over. there's no other um, kind of functional thing that'll take over this area. If you're in a lower elevation, you lose all your pine trees, your firs and your spruces and your other things are going to come in mm-hmm. right? So it was really curious where it made me it started to get me thinking that a, a symbiosis at a certain level exists, and that is the the basis, the most fundamental sort of relationship in an entire ecosystem. Very cool. Yeah. I okay. Great. <laughs> Rad, man. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I feel like that's the that's sweet, dude. Like, <laughs> I know, Alex. It's a big concept. No. Yeah. I mean, it? that's
1: what you're. That's what you're encountering with me right now is that it's a, it's such a big concept that I'm sort of like stunned. I'm yeah. Like, oh, okay. Yeah.
2: It's like, okay, could we do that, or does that change the definition of symbiosis? Right. I don't know. Well, so I decided to uh, ask then what it is that the the folks at at least the National Park Service are doing to try to keep this keystone species in place, so keep this symbiotic sort of cascade functioning. Let's hear what Perry had to say.
0: There are tools, kind of, for that address these different problems so for the pine beetles what we do is we go out and put these little verbenone packets on some of these key trees verbenone is a pine beetle pheromone that they release when they have occupied a tree it sort of says this tree's taken find your own tree and so we can put verbenone little packets of it on trees that are we can't put it on every tree But on those key plus trees, those big old cone producing trees that are really critical, our vegetation crews will go out and visit those trees every single year and put those little packets on in the spring. And that kind of helps protect them from pine beetles. So that's like pretty straightforward. The blister rest kind of mitigation or how we're fighting it is... Way more complicated, but basically we're there's a whole restoration program that is working on basically harvesting cones and seeds from those plus trees that have been resistant to blister rest thus far. With the idea that if you plant these trees that are naturally blister rest resistant back on the landscape, those hopefully have a better shot at persisting and surviving and kind of repopulating the whitebark pine population. So... They harvest the cones with those seeds. They raise them in a nursery in Coeur until they're, I think, a year or two old, and then they plant them back on the landscape. And that's just to give them the best shot at survival.
1: Casey, it, it is heartwarming to hear that there are, like, teams of people combating, you know, trying to take... Uh, duct tape up the legs of this three-legged stool. <laughs> yeah,
2: that's a great that's a great example. Yeah, and it really is, and it's it's really nice to see that um, as you listen through the whole podcast this entire season. Mm-hmm. Um, they bring in people from all the different communities, the tribal communities who've been uh, with these trees and maintaining them and, and living off of them as a food source for millennia, mm-hmm. as well as the people who live there now, as well as the visitors to the park and the actual park. Place People like doing the work. Yeah. So it's this big multi-pronged effort. And you also have like biologists and uh horticulturalists like making these things happening saying that's the tree that has the best resistance. Let's breed it and put it back on the landscape so that we can kind of speed up what nature would be doing if we weren't speeding up the time that nature needed to do stuff. You
1: know yeah. I mean? Yeah, it's it's also kind of like a um it, it's sort of a marker. Of, like, how important these trees are. Yeah. To see that there are so many different groups of people fighting so hard to keep them going.
2: Yeah. It really makes you kind of put into perspective, like this, uh, what this symbiotic relationship is, yeah. And what the this keystone species term means? We use it a lot for a lot of different things. It's it's a common thing in ecology to use this term, e- uh, keystone species.
1: Okay, yeah. Can there also be animals that are keystone species? Oh, most
2: definitely, yeah. Okay. Where like if you can see a certain animal in certain waterways, then that is a keystone species. That it's a healthy waterway. Oh. Oh, okay, like it's a
1: signifier of something.
2: Exactly, it's a signifier of a lot of larger, uh, a lot of larger processes. Um, okay. I can't think of any others, or I don't want to say them because I might get them wrong. But like wolves are a keystone species, kind of thing, okay. or like certain frogs in certain habitats, or sure. crawdads in water, or clams in certain water, like these kinds of things. It'll
1: tell you that that habitat is healthy and sort of operating properly.
2: Precisely, and okay. they're also keystone in a way that. Um, a normal keystone, uh, the term, of course, comes from an arc where if you have an arch in a building, yeah. the keystone is that middle one where if you pull it, it that very top one, it's usually like wedged shape, mm-hmm. then the whole arch falls apart. Right. It is, it is staying together because of of that keystone. So if you take that keystone away, the entire system fails.
1: It's a really good visual analogy. It
2: really is. I remember as a child, I went to OMSI, the uh, Museum of Science and Industry here That's in right. Oregon, in Portland.
1: Love OMSI. They
2: have one of these with little foam things, and you can build up your own arch. Oh, yeah. And put it together, and it's like, wow, oh my God, this... Totally makes sense. Wow,
1: I haven't thought about that in twenty some years. Hey,
2: we should go to Omsi after dark sometime let's see, <laughs> go do some cool stuff. That
1: would be great. Yeah,
2: it's Omsi for adults.
1: Hey, let's let's host a completely arbitrary Omsi after dark evening.
2: Oh man, that would be awesome. We okay, all get together
1: yeah. and go do some Omsi stuff. Hey,
2: hey, you heard it here first, you guys. <laughs> Writing it down. <laughs> So during our conversation, mm-hmm. I asked Perry um, what she thought was the most fascinating thing about this entire project. Yes. And her answer, I think, is really, really important in terms of kind of giving the trees themselves a little bit of credit. Interesting. And so let's listen to what she had to say.
1: Hey, if there's one thing we like here, it's giving trees credit.
0: Oh, exactly. <laughs> Whether or not they really want it. <laughs> I think some of the... Genetic stuff was most fascinating to me. Like I am, I'm I'm a geologist, so the and sure I took high school biology, but that was not really on my radar as part of this story. And so, like I remember sitting on this hillside near Preston Park with. Uh, Diana Six. Casey,
1: who is Diana Six?
0: Diana Six was one of the interviewees that
2: Perry talked to. Diana Six is an entomologist with the University of Montana who's doing work on the mountain pine beetle, which is, uh, of course, affecting the whitebark pine.
1: I see.
0: And she looked out over this huge U-shaped glacial valley full of trees and said, you know, there's more genetic diversity and more difference between all these trees out here that look exactly the same to us than there would be if you went to a concert and looked out across a stadium full of people that all look totally different. And I never really thought about it that way before. And she kind of framed it in a way that, like, the genetic diversity within the species and within that's kind of held within some of these really old trees is one of the big hopes for white bark pine. And that's just a way I'd never thought about conservation or restoration or trees before. So is the idea that
1: because there's a broader pool of genetics... That they have, they have more to like select from to try to find resistances to these things?
2: Yeah, kind of. Where if you have an entire population and you have diseases, then if you have a low genetic diversity, then the disease will affect them all essentially the same. Sure. So if you don't have resistance, none of you are likely to have resistance. Conversely, if there's a high genetic diversity, it's very likely that one or two of those individuals in that population or several, some percentage, mm-hmm. will have some resistance, you know?
1: Okay. Okay. So the higher d- uh, genetic diversity, the more, the higher percentage of. Those trees will be resistant. Is that the idea? Very
2: likely. There's okay. a there's a higher likelihood. I see. Correct. So then, if in say in this case, white pine blister rust comes through, yeah, it kills all of the trees except for a few that are resistant. Those resistant trees will be able to survive and basically start the whole population anew. And then that creates. Unfortunately, you lose a lot of the genetic diversity that died. But each one of those trees is so unique and different from the others. Uh-huh. That as soon as you get some kind of cross-pollination, there is just this huge amount of diversity within each individual tree and across tree populations.
1: And this new population that grows after most of them are killed Uh will more likely be uh, resistant to the blister rust? Yeah.
2: In fact, it would be resistant. Okay. Because that's the only reason it survived. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow! Wow is all you can say. So that's what these <laughs> that's what these people are working on. And I thought that Perry saying um, or talking about Diana Six's comment that yeah. you look out at it, a forest, each individual tree has more genetic diversity within itself. That the whole crowd of trees is more than a whole crowd of people. Kind of spooky. Yeah, we're almost exactly the same in terms of genetics, mm-hmm. uh, whereas the trees are are vastly different. So a tree standing right next to another tree could have a whole different. Grouping a cadre of resistant properties that the one next to it just doesn't have.
1: This is kind of a nice, this is kind of a, a side lesson to take away, Casey, don't you reckon? Yeah, I think so. Like they may all look like Douglas fir, but they're as different as you and me. Yeah. I and don't look in a mirror and go, is that Casey?
2: Mm, exactly. You know? But these trees probably do. They look in the mirror and they're like, whoa, I, this is, could be anyone. Casey. I don't
1: know. Trees don't have mirrors. Yeah, right. That's true. Well, Unless they grow next to a pond. I, you know like what? Narcissus. I was thinking that.
2: Yeah. Or like uh, they're looking <laughs> down. Yeah. Okay. So you know what? We take that back. The podcast regrets the air. Trees yes. do have mirrors. A
1: madrone growing over a calm sea, yes. of course, has a mirror. Uh, duh. Wow. We have to, we're have going to get canceled.
2: Yeah, we are. Mirror, mirror cancel culture. Well, so the there's one last clip that I want to play from our interview out. Yes um and it makes me mainly i just want to talk about sort of how this plays out with um with symbiosis because my theory my my kind of thesis that i'm working with here mm-hmm. is that symbiosis can be enlarged to an entire ecosystem right and the big the big like kind of bow on top of that in terms of how you and i are can can change our perspective all of our listeners can change our perspective is that if we people are a part of that ecosystem
1: mm-hmm.
2: we are a part of that symbiosis you remember when we talked um, a few times years ago about braiding sweetgrass? Yes. In that book, um, she specifically brings up uh, this is Robin Kimmerer.
1: This is terrible, but it's Robin sitting Will unread Kimmerer. on my on my uh, oh wow bookshelf. I just have a big yeah, back yeah. catalog, Casey. You're
2: getting to it. No worries. Yeah. Well, in that book, um, the they talk about specifically a reciprocal relationship, mm-hmm. which read symbiosis between plants and animals and humans and those animals and humans and those plants. Of course. So um, I had one last question for, uh, for Perry. And we talked about
0: this one last time. I think this story in particular helped me start to see things more in terms of relationships, like relationships between species relationships among whole ecological communities. And and to see people as part of these ecosystems, you know, like, we have a relationship with these ecosystems, and we are part of them, like, we're not separate from them. And it's easy to think of ourselves as, again, like, we have so much power to affect ecosystems and to shape them to be how we want that, I guess, in a way, it's less scary if we don't think that we're part of them, because we do so much destruction of them. Um but but we are, you know, we rely on plants to feed us. We I'm wearing a lot of plant fibers right now. You know, I live in a house made of wood. And so, yeah, Sheena Shah put it really well. She said, we take care of plants because plants take care of us. And so to frame it as a relationship that is reciprocal was, I never really thought about it that way. Like that's something that i I didn't learn in my scientific education, you know, as a grad student or whatever you you observe, you study things, you learn about the natural world, but to see humans as part of it was really different.
1: We take care of plants because plants take care of us,
0: yeah, that's exactly that's exactly it,
2: it's and so. True. That to me, Alex, is is a perfect uh, way to end our series on symbiosis. Yeah. Where we can look at it to the nth degree and see microbes working with trees, fungi working with trees, microbes inside microbes inside trees, and plants and insects, plants and birds and animals, everything. And if we just keep going out and get bigger and bigger, then an entire ecosystem is essentially just a bunch of interconnecting chains of symbiosis. Mm -hmm. Whether or not it's a symbiosis of a very specific direct thing. You scratch my back, I scratch yours, our backs are both scratched. It could be that... The back of mine is getting scratched by something else, which is getting helped by something that's getting scratched by that thing. That then comes back around, and because the sun shines over here underneath this tree, yeah, then this grass grows, and that other thing ends up eating that, and now my back is scratched. Right? You know what I mean? Yeah. You I mean, were, was that clear? Uh, yes. Weirdly, <laughs> <laughs> Yes. <laughs> as I yeah. scratch my back,
1: I suppose. I suppose you could you could make a link between any living thing
2: yeah exactly
1: by what it interacts with and or has a sort of sort of even uh, passive symbiosis with precisely or second hand symbiosis you know? and,
2: and then that that has to include humans yeah and that to me goes back to a bunch of other things that we've ever talked about uh, religion and ecology where we have to change our otherness to nature in order to put ourselves back on a track of not destroying it in ourselves yeah because we are all a part of it the symbiotic relationship 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 between humans and our environment is is you know the most important one for us but it also happens to be the most important one for almost everything else Mm -hmm. so if we take care of one we take care of us there is a reciprocal relationship and that is symbiosis
1: casey let's get into our review
2: let's do it alex of the
1: white bark pine we're gonna give some final thoughts on this tree then give it a rating of zero to ten golden cones of honor symbiotic cones of honor yeah exactly as our resident symbiote
2: symbiote, <laughs>
1: we will begin with you
2: alex i'm happy that you began with me because i'm going to set the stage for this wow i love this tree yeah i think it's a beautiful tree it grows in a beautiful place it is a altruism uh rating of five out of five for sure it is just i it it doesn't like do any of these other things it's not the oldest tree it's not the biggest tree it's mm-hmm. not any of these other trees but it's like uh it's like atlas where it is it's atlas and methuselah all at the same time it's clinging on to the side of a mountain and having its liver eaten out it's also, a tree that is holding up the world on top of it. Yeah. Sorry, did I miss up my my Greek uh my Greek um, things? Isn't isn't Methuselah? no? This is perfect. Yeah. Okay. Thank You're you. You're thinking God. Prometheus. Prometheus. Oh dang it! It's Prometheus. Rewind. No, mo- It's like Methis- Methuselah on the side of the mountain, and Prometheus. Time- God dang! It. <laughs> it's like Prometheus. Oh my lord. <laughs> Anyway, I'm going to give the white bark pine a 9.9. 9.
1: That's incredible, Casey.
2: I think they're amazing trees. Yeah. I think they do the coolest thing. I think they, they have this, this complexness that is so subtle and understated until you look closely. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, oh, my God. Like, this entire ecosystem is dependent on it. And then that cascades down through everything else. Yeah. And I think they're also beautiful trees. Yeah. There are only a few trees that I get, like, really excited about when I see this is one of them. For sure. There's my rating. That's what I 9.9. 9.9.
1: That's incredible case. GCs
2: of H. <laughs> um. As our other resident symbiote, Alex. Yes. Take your time.
1: The white bark pine. Obviously, you know, going into this, I, I didn't know thing one about the white bark pine. Yeah. Okay. I've I've always mixed it up with the uh with the um eastern white pine.
2: Oh yeah. Uh, very different.
1: Yeah. I think just because they both have pine and white in the name. <laughs>
2: Which is pretty good. That's right. Hey, you know what? You got to draw a connection somewhere. The level you, I operate. You've been hitting the connections this entire episode, so <laughs> I'm not surprised that you're, you're also getting getting more. Um,
1: I think the the relationship with the um, Clark's Nutcracker is pretty stunning. Yeah. Uh, I love what Perry and her team and all the other teams are doing. Mm-hmm. Um the, the amount of work going into saving this tree is, is pretty incredible and th- therefore saving many other species that rely on it. Yeah. Uh, or species that rely on those species and et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera.
2: Yeah. The scratches of the scratches of the backs. Of and
1: the it backs. all, exactly. And it all comes back to you and me sitting in this apartment recording this podcast. It sure does. It all affects all of us. It does. There's something very beautiful and very sad and scary about that. Because, um, at large, the the world is not being treated so well. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably an understatement.
2: It's, it's a fair understatement, though.
1: There are some potential uh, moves happening in United States legislature right now that could help that. Mm-hmm. A lot of things are saying that it's there's a bunch of underwritten bullshit going into it as well. Mm. Maybe Maybe a step back, two steps forward. Maybe two steps forward, one step back. Yeah. Either way... That's a, that's a whole other podcast. <laughs>
2: whole other podcast. We'll get there.
1: I am going to give the White Bark Pine a really solid 9.0.
2: Okay. All right. That's yeah. fair.
1: Like a really strong, sturdy 9.0.
2: No matter how you look at it, no matter how you skin that cat, it's a, it's a 9.0.
1: <laughs> no matter how you skin that cat, says Casey Clapp.
2: <laughs> Casey, ways.
1: because we both gave the White Bark Pine
2: Yay!
1: nine plus cones, I will now play. The the
2: the the plus niner yeah. yeah what is that
1: called do we have a
2: name for this song I think it's I think we call this song um, I no we technically don't actually you know what but I think I I want to call it the the, uh, the I want to call it the double niner
1: the double niner written definitely by Alex Croson
2: <laughs> you should beep that part out <laughs> <laughs> written definitely by <laughs>
1: White Bark Pine, we salute you.
2: That was beautiful, Alex.
1: It's kind of a grating, annoying sound, isn't it?
2: No, I love it. It gives me a a chill of (laughs) gratitude every time. Oh, yeah. Hey, thank you so much
1: to Perry Sassnet. For sitting down with us and talking about the white bark pine.
2: Absolutely. And everyone at the Headwaters podcast for getting in touch and making this happen. Yeah. Just very lovely conversations.
1: And go check out that podcast, Headwaters, presented by Glacier National Park. You can find it, I think, anywhere.
2: Uh you can. Yeah, wherever you get your podcast, you can also go to nps.gov slash glacier slash headwaters, or something very similar to that.
1: There you go. Casey, it's time for our completely arbitrary Q&A. This one comes from the Patreon. A bit of a trend there we're setting go. here.
2: Well, I mean, these are good questions. Right? Good, good That's questions.
1: right. This one's from Sammy G.
2: Oh, hey, Sammy.
1: Hey, Sammy. Sammy asks, if you could go back in time...
2: Back in time?
1: ...to visit any period of geologic time, i.e. Cretaceous, Devonian, oh. etc. which would you choose? And why. Casey, I had to look up from the digital atlas of ancient life. Ooh, okay. I have this this eon era period yep. and epic. Okay. Or epoch, I've also... Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. I think it's either one, but I love epoch. I For whatever reason, the, yeah. the, the hard E's, P's, and C's I think sound great. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I've got a list, of, a list of things here. So, you know, you've got the Cenozoic, uh-huh. the Mesozoic, the yep. Paleozoic. Okay. Um, in in those you have your periods. Those okay. are your eras, and of course you have your eons, uh, which course. are even bigger. Yeah. Right now we're in the f- fan- Phanerozoic.
2: Ah, okay. Yeah, eon. that sound, sounds about right. Sounds about right.
1: Um, Proterozoic was before that. Archaeon mm-hmm. was before that, mm-hmm. and H- Hadion?
2: Yeah. Before oh, that. Yeah. Okay. That was
1: about four point five four gazillion years ago. Yeah.
2: That was that was way back when, as they say, in the it, olden days.
1: Yeah. That was a D- DWD. Yeah um d w b w is what i meant to say (laughs) i don't know
2: what either of those are so i didn't know you got it wrong the first way
1: back when
2: oh where's the d that's what i fucked up oh i
1: see (laughs) yeah that helps thank you so casey obviously the jurassic is in the mix well i i I have a i have an answer for this okay what do you got None of them.
2: what? Alex never wants to go back in time? No, Oh, God, come the, on.
1: The, <laughs> the past was terrifying. oh jeez i would I would never, ever ever I would want to watch it from afar. I would love to see it, <laughs> okay. through a lens of some sort. but you uh, there's no i you couldn't pay me a billion dollars to spend five really? minutes on earth in any of these periods
2: wow that's not what i expected terrifying you're just like no i need i get this i'm good here time thank you
1: giant bugs yeah sometimes you're gonna hit you're gonna find uh dinosaurs Velociraptors,
2: probably out yes
1: sometimes i mean regardless that the atmosphere is gonna feel different maybe you'll suffocate
2: yeah you will certainly there will be snakes yeah, I'm sure the there's going to be snakes,
1: giant snakes.
2: Yeah, and also other kinds of snakes. Yes, you're probably also going to have to deal with um, the not necessarily suffocating gases, but you know, there's like there was a lot way more volcanic in certain periods. Yeah, so yeah, you're right. It could be like like poisonous air. Yeah, also it was way more humid. It was humid and hot back then.
1: See, I need a, I need some air conditioning. Yeah. I can't go out there. I'd be I'd be sweating yeah. head to toe.
2: <laughs> Honestly, I love that that idea where like you see like. Um, past present like movies and everyone's like they're doing really well like they kind of adapt really quickly it's Mm -hmm. like man the rock really knows prehistoric time Right. Okay. That' good. I'm really glad the rock has that. But I I also love the idea of seeing Alex Croson in prehistoric time, Mm. just walking through and be like, "Oh my god, what are all these vines? They're so sticky."
1: Everything is trying to kill
2: you. Sweating through your shirt. Yeah, I think that would be honestly like uh, that seems like something the Mighty Boosh would do. Like you know some old show where they just put this these people that don't belong in a place where they don't belong.
1: I didn't know you've seen the Mighty Boosh. Love the Mighty Boosh. Wow. How about That. Yeah, it's
2: so good. See, I'm cultured, Alex.
1: <laughs> That's a deep cut. Too. Yeah, oh for sure. Um so what do you think, Case? Where Ooh. where would you like to belong here? Okay.
2: I have two answers okay. for this. Uh the first answer is like 15,000 years ago, maybe 15 to 20,000 years ago.
1: Okay, so we're talking pla- P- Pleistocene? Yeah,
2: exactly. The I think it's the late Pleistocene. Okay. I might prefer to go back a little bit further to like the middle Pleistocene. Sure. Uh, my rationale for this is uh, twofold. One, um, it's early enough that I can still recognize everything that's out there in terms of the plants. That's a
1: good point, Case.
2: So if I go back uh, to then... I, I would be able to identify every single plant that I can identify today.
1: And? Probably a bunch more. You'd probably even see some cool animals that didn't go exactly, extinct that long ago. Some exactly. giant sloths, some ground bears.
2: dodonts <laughs> Yes, 100%.
1: Ground sloths, I think I meant to say, not yeah. ground bears. Ooh, yeah, yeah. There's all short-faced bears. All bears are ground bears. bears. Yeah.
2: yeah. Well, no, not all. Some bears like to hang out uh, up in the arbors. They don't have flight is what I'm saying. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. I gotcha. Uh,
1: mastodon? Yep.
2: Yeah. And all those like amazing, crazy animals that uh, went extinct uh, coincidentally when humans came over into North America, came down into um, Australia, and these kinds of different pressures on the ecosystem caused these changes. We're not going to say what those pressures were, but they were there. <laughs> um, yes, I 100% think that would be the coolest time. I have a second answer, though. That's okay. my first answer. Yeah. That gives me the opportunity to go back and be like, I see how it is. Like, go up to Seattle and be like, "Whoa, check it out! This is what Seattle used to look like sure. before they did everything that changed Seattle." You know, right. obviously, the biggest issue is that it would be way different. It would be like, like unrecognizably different because the water level is going to be higher or lower. Like those kind of changes would mm-hmm. affect it, but you could probably still pick out a lot of the same stuff.
1: You know, if I could do like a Christmas carol type
2: thing. Oh, get taken by uh, a ghost of Glyptodon past.
1: Yeah, nobody yeah. can see me or sense me, and I could just sort of sit and experience mm. what, it, what it smells like, and yeah. what it hear, sounds like, and what it, it smells looks like. It just
2: like Papa's dinner. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: this, this Glyptodon urine. <laughs> yeah, um, okay, I'm with you there. Yeah. That would be great. That That's sort of the the, the conditions I would set for myself.
2: Okay. Well, so I have one other answer. Okay, it would be about uh, the time that ginkgo and uh, mm. metasequoia were like at their peak. Okay, so this is about the end. Uh, was it sixty-five million years ago? Was when the dinosaurs kind of went out off the table?
1: Yeah, the pale, the Cenozo- the beginning of the Cenozoic yes, era. Yes, the
2: end of the end of the Jurassic.
1: Yeah, uh, Cretaceous.
2: Cretaceous. Okay, yeah. so I would love to go back to the Cretaceous. I think. Okay, because it would be fascinating to see something now that i can't recognize anything but a few species yeah see the the widest majority of um let's say the arcariaceae like see what they all look like where mm. they all came from see the all the the other pine species and fake pine species that are growing over in now what we know is japan yeah. but back then they were all over the northern hemisphere all the way into um what is now north america It'd be I, would, I would love to see like so far away that it's like oh my god this is what the dawn redwood used to look like in mm. these giant forests of dawn redwoods in arcaria and like oh wow there's a nascent little maple kind of tree that's just growing up that would be... That'd be cool. Yeah, I can't decide which one I would prefer right now. So, well,
1: that's that's uh, Christmas Carol. He had three of them, so he that, had three. there's your picks. Oh,
2: yes. The other, but the third <laughs> one was in the future, wasn't it? Uh, Yes. Yeah, oh, no. Yeah,
1: yeah so All right. yeah. let me know how that goes. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, this has
2: been uh, completely arbitrary from
1: I have the one more answer, Casey. What do you got? I would love to see, like... I'm going to, I guess I'll call it the, H- the Hadeon, the Hadian. Okay. Um,
2: way back when, which was
1: when the earth was just like volcanoes. Yeah. was like made of volcanoes. <laughs> That'd be sweet. I would like to see just like the most primordial, like, you know, just goop f- floating uh, around. Yeah. Volcanoes. I don't know. It was like right after things just started getting going.
2: That would be fun if you could also like kind of speed up and like just jump forward by years and years. Have a
1: little scrubber that I could go, oh, let's yeah. go forward by 30 million. Yeah,
2: but you can watch it all happen. Yeah. Yeah, I would be totally with you for that. That would be, honestly, yeah. like Genie comes down right now, I would ask for those three wishes. I Well, I might ask for two of those and keep a third one in my back pocket. For sure. You know, just in case.
1: <laughs> You're going to want that when, you know, the the, I don't know, you're gonna want that
2: yeah it's gonna be we're gonna need it we're gonna need it yeah so and
1: you can't afford a flight to china but you really want to go to china <laughs> i wish i was in china <laughs> all right you got it oh man that'd be good <laughs> uh thank you so much sammy g for your question hey any relation to Ali G? you think
2: no actually i actually uh i know this person they are related to kenny g That's
1: incredible. Mm -hmm. They're Mm -hmm. all cousins.
2: Yeah, world class.
1: If you have a question about trees, email us at arbitrarypod at gmail.com or join the Patreon. That's kind of how we're trending lately due to some news that we will share later. We're very excited about the Patreon or support the Patreon. I guess that's and support the Patreon. Continue supporting the Patreon. Patreon.com slash arbitrarypod. You get bonus episodes. You get Cone of the Month Club. We'll send you cone stickers illustrated by independent artists every single month. Mm-hmm. Casey Clapp. Alex Croson. A big thanks to Perry and the Headwaters team. Yes. A big thanks to everybody working so tirelessly and and, and uh, uh, passionately on the whitebark pine issue. Yes. Um, a thanks to you, Casey, for sitting down with Perry and bringing that interview here to all of us. Of
2: course. And thank you, Alex, and everybody out there for listening to this Odyssey, our four-part play. The question of the day, Alex, has this been a tragedy or comedy?
1: I believe it's been a cliffhanger. Oh, my God. Thank you so much for listening to Completely Arbitrary. We'll see you next time. Bye.
2: Completely Arbitrary is produced by Alex Croson and Casey Clapp. Our
1: artwork is by Gillian Barthold, and our music is by Aves and the Mini Vandals.
2: And you can support the podcast at patreon.com slash arbitrarypod.
1: And find additional readings at completelyarbitrary.com. Thanks for listening.